So this is Hebrews 6 and verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. We ask that we would hear your voice this morning. We pray that you would give us confidence in your word and in your promises to us. Would you teach us of your steadfast character, your sovereign power, your goodness, and your truth, and equip us to be able to persevere and to wait patiently. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, my oldest son, Josh, was working on his uh, hiking merit badge for Boy Scouts, and he asked me to help him out with this merit badge, and what that entailed was, in addition to some other requirements that he had to work on on his own, we were going to go on six different hikes, five hikes that were 10 miles long and one hike that was 20 miles long. So we began working on it, um, but we did these hikes on Saturdays, and we began in late spring. So by the time we got to the 20-mile hike, it was July. Uh, but undeterred by the potential for 100-degree heat, we found a trail that we could do a 20-mile hike. And we reasoned that if we just began the hike early enough in the morning, we would be able to complete it before it got too hot. Well, we were wrong. We were very wrong. Uh, shortly after, within about two hours of starting this hike, which ended up taking about eight hours, the temperature got to 90 degrees. And the hike was 10 miles out and 10 miles back. And what was a pleasant hike on the way out became a shadeless scorcher on the way back. Uh, shortly after the halfway point, we began to run out of water, food for fuel, and in my case, dry socks. And as we continued, we were exhausted, and we were frustrated, and every time we went around a turn, we would look expectantly for something that reminded us of where we began, so we knew that we were getting close to the end, or at least some kind of shade. Uh, but we didn't really have much choice but to just keep trudging on with the hope, with the expectation, knowing with certainty that we were going to reach the end eventually. And beloved, as we are on this 
progress towards glory. Our God has set a hope before us, but it is very easy for us in the midst of our circumstances and the weariness of life to lose confidence that there is a hope that is truly waiting for us or that we will actually reach that hope in the end. In fact, the very word that we use, hope, is problematic. Often we mean not much more than wishful thinking when we say hope. Like, I, I hope that the pleasant weather forecast will turn out to be correct, or I hope that I'm going to get a good raise at the end of the year, or we hope that our favorite sports team is going to win the championship. And it's really just wishful thinking. It's not rooted or grounded in any real certainty that any of those things can happen. So all those hopes can disappoint us. But throughout Scripture, God repeatedly talks about a hope that we must have, a hope that he has given to us. And he has made clear that that hope is certain. It is a hope that we must hold fast to with full assurance. It is a hope that does not disappoint. It is safe and secure, and it is rooted in the faithfulness of our God. And that's really the the sum of what this passage has for us today is simply this, that God has bound his honor to the surety of his promises. He's bound his honor to his promises. So we must hold fast our hope with full assurance. So we're going to talk about hope and confidence. And if you are here this morning and you have not put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you may wonder... Why do believers in the Lord Jesus Christ give any credence whatsoever to the gospel of Jesus Christ? So I'd encourage you to listen for the grounds for our hope. And if you're here and you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but the circumstances of life have made you impatient or begin to waver in your assurance, question your confidence, I would encourage you to let the Lord encourage you to endure with patience as we proceed toward our hope. So we're going to look at this concept of hope on three different vantage points. We're going to see that it's a hope that was guaranteed, it's a hope that was realized, and it's a hope that is certain. But we need to begin by defining what this hope is. It's important for us to understand what this hope is. And simply put... Our hope is eternal salvation in Jesus Christ and everything that comes along with this. So we long for the Lord Jesus Christ to return and to conquer all his and our enemies. We long for him to um, end the curse and all of the effects that we experience to end all sickness and death and hatred and fighting between one another and our separation with God. And we long for the eternal blessedness that God promises to us, the peace and the rest and the joy 
living in God's presence, the presence of our loving Heavenly Father forever and ever with the fear of judgment in the rearview mirror, having been found faithful in Christ Jesus. We, we long for all those things. And yet those things, while they are certain and sure promises in Christ Jesus, they are future realities. That is our hope. That is our hope, because it is still future. Certain now, but still in the future. But we have reason to, to hold fast to that hope, because first and foremost, that hope was guaranteed. Now, uh, the issue of trustworthiness, whether our message is trustworthy, that's, that's a big deal for us as people, particularly as we deal with one another. In, in the marketplace, we have all sorts of means of trying to determine whether somebody is trustworthy. The whole idea of a credit score that we have is a means by, by which creditors can determine whether they can reliably give credit to an individual, whether they will be trustworthy to pay it back. Uh, online reviews are a way for consumers to alert other consumers whether a particular business is reliable and trustworthy, has a good product. And of course, our entire legal system gives us means to establish legally binding agreements to hold one another accountable to do what we say we're going to do. And we have to do things like that because as sinful human beings, we are largely unreliable. We are largely unreliable. We need to be held accountable to be trustworthy to our word. But that's not the case for God. God, God's word is truth. If he speaks it, it is truth. God never lies. He cannot lie. Whatever he says will come to pass. And so trustworthiness is a essential characteristic of our God, trustworthiness and reliability. And when we are trustworthy, we are reflecting the character of our God, which is why it's important for us as individuals to be trustworthy. The Lord Jesus Christ said, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Whatever you say, let it be true. Um, and God also gave other vehicles of validating the trustworthiness or the, that you're going to be bound to your word. In the Old Testament, he gave oaths as a means of sealing an agreement. In Exodus chapter 22, there's this uh, law um, that God gives to Moses to give to the Israelites, where he basically says, well, if a man uh, gives an animal to his neighbor, and while the man has the, neighbor, uh, the, the friend's animal, the animal dies or gets injured or gets lost, and nobody knows what happened to it. The neighbor needs to come to the man and swear an oath before the Lord that the man had, was not party or the cause for whatever happened to this animal. And the neighbor is supposed to accept that oath as validation. It's supposed to resolve the dispute that the man's speaking the truth. And what's remarkable is that God takes oaths. 
There there are times in Scripture where God has taken oaths and made oaths to his people. And that's remarkable because oaths exist in order to validate the, the truthfulness or the trustworthiness of the message. But God never lies. God cannot lie. God cannot lie. But the other, the other part of why that's remarkable is because when you take an oath, you swear, as the, the author of Hebrews says, you swear by something greater than yourself. The, the man was to swear an oath before the Lord that he was not the cause of whatever happened to the animal. But there's nothing greater than God. So if God's going to swear an oath, he has to swear by himself. And what he's doing is swearing on his honor. He is putting his honor at stake when he makes that oath. He's putting himself at stake. And that's exactly what God has done. In the passage that we just read from Genesis 22, God swore an oath by himself to Abraham. Now, Hopefully you remember the story of Abraham. God had promised to Abraham, I will bless you and multiply you with descendants as numerous as the sand and the sea and the stars in the heaven. But Abraham was old. He was married to Sarah, who was also old. And they said, how could this be? And, but yet God provided Isaac. And they had a son. But Isaac wasn't the fullness, the fulfill, the fullness of the promise. It wasn't the totality of the promise because God had promised a multitude of descendants. But then God did the unthinkable. He said, Abraham, I want you to go sacrifice your son. I want you to go kill him. But Abraham trusted God, so he took his son, and he took the knife, and he took the wood, and he prepared to slay his son. And as he lifted his hand to slay his son, God said, wait, now I know that you trust me, And then in response, God says, I swear by myself that I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. Now, God had already promised these things, but now he's saying it again and he's swearing with an oath, like he's raising his right hand, saying, I swear by myself that this will happen. So you have to ask the question, why would God do this? Was there some question about whether God would truly be faithful with his promise? Or did God somehow forget his original promise and he needed to remind himself? Absolutely not. Our passage tells us why. It says, verse 17, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. God did that for us, because he wanted to show more convincingly his promise. So that two things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we might hold fast with this. God's purposes are always unchangeable. We think sometimes God is like us, that he'll forget his promises, or he'll change his mind, or sometimes think, Maybe we'll do something to change God's mind. Maybe he's not really talking about us. And so God desired to convince us of the unchanging nature of his purposes. It was a sure promise, an eternal promise, and he took an oath 
in order to stake his honor to the fulfillment of that promise. And what's more, he fulfilled that promise. Uh, it says in, uh, where is it? <laughs> uh, verse 15, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Uh, God had made this promise, and then there's just this simple yet incredibly powerful statement. God, Abraham waited patiently, and he obtained the promise. God swore the oath. Abraham obtained it, period. It was guaranteed, and it was received. Abraham received the promise. In fact, only God can thwart his own promises. Only, only God could be the cause of his promises not coming to pass. God is, um, Ephesians says that God works out all of his purposes according to the counsel of his will. Scripture, scripture elsewhere says that no one can stay his hand. Uh, no one can say, what are you doing? He is the ultimate and supreme authority over all. Nothing can stop him except he could stop himself. Um, there are some people who think that God um, reacts or adapts what he's going to do according to how people respond, whether we are faithful or unfaithful, and God is waiting to find out. And that couldn't be further than the truth of what Scripture says. God's purposes are eternal and unchangeable, and nothing that you can do will change God's purposes. God's purposes are sure. Now, sometimes it looks like God changes his plan. You might remember the Israelites wandering through the wilderness, and God had promised, I will surely give you the promised land. And yet those people went into the wilderness, and they were unfaithful, and it says an entire generation perished in the wilderness. And yet God was still faithful to his promise. He did lead his people into the promised land. It just wasn't those people. It was the next generation. God's purposes stood. It sometimes seems like God might change his mind or he's not being faithful to his promises, but that's only because we don't correctly understand what God intended in the first place. And it says that, in verse 13, it says, And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. He waited patiently. You know, he didn't get that promise immediately. He had to patiently wait. And patiently waited, it, there's, a, there's an aspect of trust. A trust that that promise is coming. And it's a trust that endures in the midst of the waiting. It was resting in God's promise. And what it says in our translation, it says, um, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. That's what our English translations often say. Another way of translating it is that he reached the promise. Almost as if the author is saying the promise was there, safe, secure. Abraham just hadn't gotten there yet. He hadn't reached the promise. It was fixed all along. And beloved, uh, our God has 
give, he followed a similar pattern with the fulfillment of his promise to the Lord Jesus Christ. God had promised to Abraham and he swore an oath that he would fulfill it. And he ultimately did fulfill it after Abraham patiently waited. But our God swore an oath to the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Psalm 110 says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord Jesus Christ had to wait patiently and endure faithfully to receive that promise. He had to set his face to Jerusalem where he would go and offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. He had to endure death for a time, but God was faithful. After Jesus had waited patiently, God raised him from the dead. God raised him into the heavenly places so that the Lord Jesus Christ has passed through the heavens and God has seated him at the right hand of God the Father above every authority. He fulfilled his promise after having waited patiently. And so, beloved, that's where we are. We have received amazing promises that have been sworn with an oath and we are in the midst of waiting patiently to receive them. But we can rest and we can pursue it because our hope is certain. Our hope is certain. It is a, it is, these are promises that we can and must stake our very lives upon. We've been given a strong encouragement, it says. There's no possibility or probability whatsoever that these, these promises will not come to pass. It is certain. And um, God, is, God gave these promises to Abraham and to the Lord Jesus Christ. And to us, he's given us the promise that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And what I think we can see, beloved, is that that promise to us is rooted in these two promises to Abraham and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, our text says that we are heirs of the promise, that God did this so that the heirs of the promise might understand the unchangeable character of his purpose. An heir receives something that has been passed down to us from other generations. Our salvation in Jesus Christ is rooted in the fact that our, the Lord Jesus Christ is our high priest. It is rooted in the fact that he has, he has paid the penalty for our sin. It is rooted in the fact that he has gained us access into God's presence and that he is purifying us to be his people. We need a high priest in order to be saved. And, and our God has said, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Lord Jesus Christ is our high priest forever. That is a sure promise. But beloved, even that promise to the Lord Jesus Christ is rooted in this promise to Abraham. Uh, the book of Galatians makes clear that all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have faith in Jesus Christ, are sons of Abraham by faith. Our God swore an oath to Abraham that he would have many descendants. So when we come to faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, 
We are a fulfillment of that promise to Abraham. More children are being multiplied to Abraham. So God does that when he leads us to Christ. And so, beloved, as we cling to this hope, it is so sure and so certain that our author calls it an anchor. There in verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner place behind the curtain. It's an anchor that keeps us from drifting, from drifting away from the Lord. But it's also, a, it's also an anchor that guarantees our salvation. It guarantees our salvation. We see that in that word that's there in verse 20, forerunner, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner. Now, in verse 19, as we just said, you know, it's a hope that goes into the inner place behind the curtain. That's a reference to the tabernacle, the inner place, or the Holy of Holies is, was the place where God's presence was. And this hope has gone in there. And, and makes in, in verse 20, says makes clear that it's Jesus that is that hope, where Jesus has gone into that place. And he's gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Now, a forerunner could just be something that goes on ahead, uh, that, uh, you know, goes to uncharted territory like a scout. But to the original hearers, it also had a nautical or a sailing meaning, just like anchor. And Lewis Talbot uh, beautifully describes this. And this is what he says. He said, The Greek harbors were often cut off from the sea by sandbars, over which the larger ships dared not pass until the full tide came in. Therefore, a lighter vessel, a forerunner, took the anchor and dropped it in the harbor. From that moment, the ship was safe from the storm, although it had to wait until the tide before it could enter the harbor. The entrance of the small vessel into the harbor, the forerunner carrying the ship's anchor, was the pledge that the ship would safely enter the harbor when the tide was full. And because Christ, our forerunner, has entered heaven itself, having torn asunder everything that separates the redeemed sinner from the very presence of God. He himself is the pledge that we too shall one day enter the harbor of our souls and the very presence of God in the new Jerusalem. And beloved, what a beautiful picture that our God gives us, that the Lord Jesus Christ has even now placed an anchor in, his, in God's presence that will draw us to him, keep us firm and safe, anchored to this sure and steady promise that we need not doubt, that we need not doubt that we will ever reach our heavenly home. It is certain. It is true. We must wait patiently and endure faithfully to receive that which is already safe and secure for us even now. So by way of application, I think if we look at verses 11 and 12, we see how our God would have us respond to this truth. There he says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So a few things here. First, we need to show in earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. We need to be earnestly pursuing the full assurance of this hope. 
God has given you every reason to believe his promises. He has staked his honor by swearing an oath by himself that these things are true. So for us to disregard these promises, to doubt them, is to dishonor God himself. God will certainly bring these promises to pass. And he will certainly judge those who disregard them or disbelieve them. So my question to you is, are you steadfast and immovable in this hope that the Lord has given to you? Or are you wavering? If you have fled to the Lord Jesus Christ for refuge, you can know for certain that God will preserve you unto the end. He will certainly bring to fruition this promise. Um, the second thing is there that we would, that living with hope, living with this hope means not being sluggish. He says, so that you may not be sluggish. Um, if we rest in the surety of this promise, the certainty that God is bringing us into his presence, it sets us free. It sets us free to live for him and for his glory, knowing that he will bring us into his presence, that nothing in this life can harm us eternally, maybe for a time, but not eternally, so we can live for him. It causes us to pay closer attention to what he says to us in his word. It causes us to more eagerly and earnestly put into practice what he calls us to do. So we need to not be sluggish. Let's live as though we are rooted in this certainty. But one way that we're not sluggish, he says, not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So in the context, he talks about Abraham, puts him forward as an example for us to follow. But he's, he's also thinking ahead to what he'll write in Hebrews chapter 11, the so-called halls of faith with the biblical examples of faithfulness and endurance. And God says we ought to follow these examples. These examples were given for us that we might stand firm. And these are ones who have inherited the promises. But it's not just biblical examples. God also gives us real life examples. When we get to Hebrews chapter 13, the author of Hebrews will say, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their faith and imitate them. And that's something that all of us can do. Uh, we all have those who have come before us, who have ex demonstrated faith in our lives. We're called to imitate the faith of those. God preserves us even as he uh, gives us examples to see. And for those of us who have been given the responsibility and the joy and the grace of being leaders, there is an important application that we set a godly example of faithfulness before the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. But also, we need to notice there in verse 12 that it is through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. And I wonder if, how much you've considered the role of patience 
with respect to faith. Obviously, patience can mean simply just waiting to receive that which has been promised. But there's also the aspect of trust and endurance, enduring through circumstances, patiently enduring as we proceed to the desired goal. Our circumstances can can cause us to to doubt. It can cause us to grow impatient, to wonder whether God was really serious about what he said. But beloved, we, we need to anchor our confidence in the character of our God, the unchanging character of our God and his unchanging purposes, and to hold fast with certainty, to rest in the certainty of his promises and endure with faithful patience as we wait for the fulfillment of the promise. And when it speaks of faith, he actually defines that faith for us. There, in verse 18, he says, We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We must flee for refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God will protect us. And as we do, this faith has the active component of holding fast to the hope that is set before us. We are safe and secure even as the promise itself is safe and secure. It is a hope that will never disappoint us. Beloved, there's very little in this world, in our experience, that is trustworthy and sure. You listen to any major news outlet and things that seemed so sure and solid even 10 or 20 years ago are no longer as sure. We feel, it feels like sometimes we are on this sifting sand of a culture. We never know what, what way is up. But beloved, our God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His promises are sure. He is sworn by himself. And God says that all of his promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you, are, you have fled to him for refuge, you will certainly be saved. It is a 100% certainty. Beloved, anchor your soul to that promise. Hold fast with full assurance of confidence. Our God will bring it to a sure fulfillment. He has promised. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your promises are sure. Thank you that you are a trustworthy God. Forgive us for doubting. Forgive us for forgetting. Help us to cling with hope. Thank you that you are our refuge and our strength. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, our hymn.